All right, well, good morning, West Park. If you will, please turn with me back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer that we read together earlier. So the big question we're asking this morning is this one. How do we pray? How do we pray? And I think that's an appropriate question because if you look at the, we're looking at the Matthew version of the Lord's Prayer, but there's one in Luke as well. And actually, Jesus goes into the Lord's Prayer because his disciples come to him and ask, Lord, teach us to pray. How do we do this? How do we pray? Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus doesn't actually respond to that question the way I'm responding now by teaching a sermon. Instead, he actually just prays. You notice that? They come and say, teach us to pray. He doesn't actually go into this long sermon in in Luke 11. He just starts praying. And I think I just want to start right off the bat with that, because I'm going to give you a lot of information. I'm going to give you hopefully some helpful things here on prayer. But the best way to get better at praying, the best way to learn to pray is by praying. Like That's it, right? The Holy Spirit is an amazing teacher, the best teacher. And so if your goal for 2023 is to improve in your prayer life, then pray. Okay, that's it. Like, I love this. It's what one um, great Christian known for his prayer ministry said. He said, if you want a life of prayer, the way to get it is by praying. I mean, that's so simplistic, it sounds like a joke, right? But there's a lot, like, that's, that's key. Because I don't know about you, but I have this tendency, I, I love new insight. I love to get a new insight. I love to get something new to help me. Applying it is much harder, So let's not be people who just know a lot about prayer and don't actually pray, okay? Let's be people who actually pray. And so I hope to be helpful this morning. I hope to be helpful, but just pray, just pray. With that said, as long as you do actually apply it, I think it's still a good idea to learn more about prayer. And so let's just spend some time walking through the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to use an acronym I'm not normally the acronym guy. That's Pastor Sam's thing, right? But I'm going to use an acronym for the, for the first time maybe in my life. Um, and it's an acronym. I'm going to use it because it's been really helpful for me. It's an acronym, four letters. They spell out pray. It's really easy to remember. And so we're going to walk through this. And let me just acknowledge, um, I'm going to actually give an acronym. You may know one already. I think Joe's going to use a different acronym over in the hub. I think we're going to use a different acronym in our family gathering tonight. But this one's been really helpful for me. I got this from a guy named Pete Gregg, who's helped me a ton as it comes to to learning how to to pray. Um, But I love this one. So this is the the acronym PRAY, the four points. Here's what we're going to walk through. It's these points. Pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. Okay, so pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And you're going to see that it actually tracks along right with the Lord's Prayer. But before I, before I get into this, let me, let me just be honest with you up front, okay? I felt like this was appropriate that I need to say this, because I'm going to give a lot of advice today on prayer. I'm going to give a lot of, of uh, things that I hope will help you in your prayer life in 2023 and beyond, but I just want to be honest with you about who it is that's talking to you, okay? About my own prayer life, where I am, because here's the thing. I was convicted by this week, and, and just it, it It was clearer to me than ever this week as I was preparing this. I'm not the most qualified person in this room to teach this, okay? I'm really not. And I say that because I have experienced 
the prayer of so many people in this church. Right? We have a church of people who are faithful in this. Like, I mean, I'm just, I've been coming, you know, we were, we were here before, we left for a while, we've come back over the last two years. That's the thing that has really, God has shown me being back, that this church prays. Okay. This is a church that takes this seriously. And there's so many people as I'm looking out that I know, I mean, Sue Polson, well, I mean, wow, right? Like she, she can pray, okay? There's so many people, the Sims, uh, the Cages, there's so many people that come to my mind who I've just experienced that they, they know this and they do this and they're faithful in it. And they've been faithful in it longer than I've been alive, right? And so they, they probably should be teaching this, but, but here I am, okay? So it's too late now, I'm up here. But let me say this. Um, let me say this, if, if, I, if I had to, to tell you where I am, I, I maybe would nominate myself for most improved, okay? If we, had, if we had West Park praying trophies, maybe you would give me the most improved one, okay? Because as I, I look back just at myself three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, um, this is something I, I, would, I would not have agreed to even do this three years ago. But this is something that I've seen the Lord do a work in my life, right? We sing about how he's changing us. This is something that, that he's been changing in me, where the biggest thing is I, I always prayed, but I think I did it out of duty, right? I did it because, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. And especially, you know, like, I kind of get paid to pray, right? Like, that's part of my job description. And so, so there's a sense in which that was, that was really my motivation. And so, so praise God. Let me just say, like, over the last few years, the Holy Spirit's been working where this is something I look forward to now. This is something that I wake up and, and I can't wait to do this. And so I have not arrived. There are probably 100 people in this room, 200, 300, that would be more qualified to this than me. But my goal is maybe just to give you a few things that have been helpful for me over the last few years. And hopefully they'll be helpful to you as well. So let's get into it. Let's go and pop point one, the, the, the P here in pray, it's pause. It's pause. And, and to be honest with you, this is why I like this acronym so much, because it starts here with pause. Because here's the thing, you, you probably already know this, there are a lot of things working against you having a vibrant prayer life, right? Like everything seems to be against you having a vibrant prayer life. And I, I think this has probably been true forever. I mean, humans are just prone to distraction and that makes prayer hard. And so this is always going to be true, but I think it's especially true today in our digital age where we literally have multinational corporations spending billions of dollars on getting our attention, right? And that makes prayer hard. I mean, I, I hear, I've never experienced it, but I hear there was a time when if you were standing at the grocery store waiting to check out, you just stood there, right? Like, I don't know, like, I've never, but like, you just, there was nothing else to do. There was nothing to pull out of your pocket. You just stood there, right? But that's not the case anymore. This was interesting. I thought this was funny. We are so distracted in 2023, that the average human attention span has dropped from 12 seconds in 2000 to 8 seconds now. 8 seconds. Just for reference, uh, a goldfish is 9 seconds. So that's where, that's where we are, okay? So if you struggle with distraction, like, you're not alone, okay? Like, your goldfish that you got at the carnival, right, that just won't die. Like, you know, we, we had some of those. It has a longer attention span than you, you do. So we're distracted, right? That, that makes prayer hard. We're also busy, okay? Anyone else busy? We're, we're busy. We have a lot of stuff going on. There's things that are always pulling against us, pulling for our attention. 
I thought this was interesting. So uh, a professor named Michael Zigarelli studied 20,000 Christians over five years to find the biggest obstacle in our day to communion with God. So basically five years, he studied 20,000 Christians, and he said, what is it that keeps people from following Jesus in our day? Here was this summary. It's a little technical, but I think you'll be able to follow it. Here was his summary of five years of research. Okay? Here's what he said. It may be the case that Christians, that, that one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. You see his point? What's keeping us from communion with God? Busyness. <laughs> There's just a lot going on. One famous Christian was asked, what is the greatest obstacle to prayer in our time? He gave a one-word answer. Efficiency. What's the greatest obstacle to prayer in our time? Efficiency. Now, don't hear me wrong. This is not a call to laziness. It's not. Jesus was not lazy, was he? He read the gospel. Jesus was not lazy. Jesus was unbelievably productive. But he was not too busy for his father. He was doing a lot of great stuff. He was unbelievably productive. But he was never too busy for his father. Martin Luther was a really productive guy. He got a lot done. There's a reason we're still talking about him 500 years later. But here's what he said. I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I love that. I have so much to do. I must spend the first three hours in prayer. When I have so much to do, prayer's the thing that I tend to cut out, right? It's the thing that goes. Okay, I'll make that up later. But he says, I have so much to do that I need prayer more than ever. So it's not a call to laziness, but it's a call to prioritization of time with your father. And so just in summary, if you're going to have a vibrant prayer life, you have to break the cycle, the cycle of hurry, distraction, and busyness. And so you have to pause. So let me get practical here before I move on. So let me just say, I mean, you're all living in 2023 too, okay? You get it. You've, you've probably learned some things. Let me, let me challenge you. In your community groups this week, and leaders maybe write this down, talk about this. How are you dealing with this, okay? You're all living in the same time, same place, same distractions. How are you dealing with this? How are you dealing with distraction? How are you dealing with busyness? How are you prioritizing prayer? Talk about that in your community group. But let me give you just two things that have been game changers for me, okay? Take them or leave them, but these have been game changers for me. Number one, pray the Bible, okay? Pray the Bible. This is key, and I think this is... This is this is really appropriate because I think this is actually what Jesus meant for us as he gave us the Lord's Prayer. I mean, he gave it to us. I, I don't think he meant us to have to pray it word for word every single time. I mean, that's great if you want to do that. But Tim Keller says the, the Lord's Prayer is meant to give, it's, it's given to us to riff off of. Right? It's the musical notes that we take and we riff off of in our own prayers. We take them, we take these words that Jesus gives us and we apply it to our own lives and we personalize it. And so we take the Bible and we pray. And this is, this is so helpful. So just let me tell you, this is how it, it looks for me, okay? So if I'm out for a run 
and I know I want to spend that time with Jesus, and I don't have my Bible in front of me to pray, because a psalm is great to pray. You can really pray through any passage of Scripture. But my favorite thing is to go to the Lord's Prayer, because I have it memorized. A lot of y'all probably do too, right? If you don't, get on that. Okay, it's helpful. And as I'm running, I'm able to use this as a guide for my prayers, right? So it's like this. I can say, our Father in heaven, God, thank you that you are my Father. I have a lot of stuff that I'm worried about right now, and I I cast that on you because I know you care for me because you're my Father. And sometimes that even leads to this. It's, Lord, help me to be a better Father. Help me to reflect you to my own boys, Right? And so I'm able to pray that. Our Father in heaven, how would be your name? Lord, everything I do today, let me glorify your name. This sermon I'm preaching, let it glorify you. You see, you see that? And here's the great thing. When my goldfish brain finds a squirrel or whatever, right? Or thinks about something else, you know, whatever, I have something to get back onto. Right? So okay, where was I? Our Father in heaven, how would be your name? Your kingdom come. You see that? So pray the scripture. It's a wonderful guide, especially just start with this prayer right here. Use that as a guide to riff off of. That's number one. Here's number two. This has been just really a game changer. I'd encourage you to find your place. Find your place. This is key. And I think there's biblical warrant for this. In Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, we're told this in chapter 11, verse 1. It says that Jesus, it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place certain place. Now, prayer is hard in 2023, but prayer was hard for Jesus too, right? I said there's a lot of things pulling us away from prayer. There's a lot of things pulling Jesus away from prayer. If you are a mom with young kids always asking for your attention, Jesus gets you, right? Like Jesus constantly had people pulling on him trying to get his attention. And so he had to fight to pause. He had to fight for communion with his father. And it seems that one of the things he would do, so he would often wake up early before everyone else, and he had his places he would go to. And so I just encourage you, find your place. Where's the place you can go to? The the Celtic Christians called these places thin places because it just felt like the distance between heaven and earth was thinner, right? It just felt like it was just easier for whatever reason to commune with God. Do you have that place? For me, it's a park that I go to. That is my place. I I basically try to keep that park for my time with God. And this has been the best thing about that. Because, I mean, look, again, I said I haven't arrived. It's a struggle, my prayer life sometimes. This park, this place, is a place that even when I don't feel like prayer, I can go to and say, God, I'm here. I'm showing up. Okay? Like, I I don't really feel like it right now. I, I don't desire you as much as I should right now. But I am here. Right? It gives me that place. I love this story. You know, Pete Gregg tells a story about a man who was in his 40s or 50s when he became a Christian. And at that point, he was already big-time executive, leading just, you know, I think hundreds of people in his company. He had a busy life. And so he became a follower of Jesus. He genuinely wanted to follow him. He started talking to his pastor about prayer. And he basically said this. He said, you know, pastor, um, I want to pray. I just don't have time, right? I mean, that's great for you. Again, you get paid to do this, okay? I don't. So I don't know when I will pray. When can I fit prayer into my life? Maybe you're thinking that. You're saying, okay, how can you tell me about prayer? I have have an actual job, right? Like I have stuff I have to do. Well, here's what the pastor said. He said, here's what I challenge you with. 
Start by waking up 20 minutes earlier and find your place. 20 minutes earlier, find your place. This guy went out. He bought a nice new rocking chair. He put this rocking chair beside his window looking at his favorite tree. And he got up 20 minutes earlier and went there to read his Bible and pray. He did that one day. He did it for a week. He did it for a month. It became a habit. And this habit went on for decades. Decades. Every big decision he made in his life happened right there in that rocking chair. That was his place. So much so that on the day of his funeral, his wife could not stop looking at that chair. And everything it meant to her husband, everything it meant to their family, she just couldn't stop looking at that chair. And actually one of her friends noticed, comes up and says, what are you going to do with it? And here's, here's her answer. We're going to pass it down to our children and grandchildren. I love to think of them sitting in it the way my husband did, unburdening their hearts, listening to the Lord, letting him shape and direct their lives. It all started with a chair, right? So find your place. Where's your place? I mean, obviously, we're, we're called to pray without ceasing. We can pray anywhere. You can pray, you know, at all times. But find your place. That's going to be a big help. And it's going to help you to pause. Okay? Let's move to point two. We pause, and then we rejoice. Okay? We pause, and then we rejoice. Notice what Jesus invites us to do at the beginning of the prayer. He invites us to rejoice in God. That's what we're doing. Rejoice in God. Paul put it this way, Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And that's what we're invited to do in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus prays, Our Father in heaven, how would be your name? So we start our prayers by reminding ourselves who God is and rejoicing in that. We remind ourselves that He is our Father in heaven. Isn't that amazing? Our Father in heaven. Let me acknowledge something. I feel like I have to, to say this in a room this size. When I say our Father, when Jesus calls God Father, for some of us, that's a very comforting thing, right? Like, wow, you had, a, you had a really great dad or have a really great dad. And so when you hear Father, that brings about the image of, of comfort, of care, of dependability. And so that is good news that God is your Father. But let's just be realistic. There are probably many in this room where that's not the case. You hear father, and it's more about betrayal. Maybe your father you know, didn't stick around. Maybe he wasn't very loving. And so to call God father, maybe that's a hang-up for you. Maybe that's something you try to avoid, because that just doesn't bring about a good image. But let me just, just try to help you here. You know what Jesus has in mind when he calls God father? He peels back the curtain a little bit when he tells us the parable of the prodigal son. Right? You know this parable? This, this prodigal son, this, this younger son, goes to the father and he basically says, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance. Give me everything. He goes away. He abandons the family. He goes and he blows it all. And then he comes back with his tail between his legs. Right? Comes back not knowing how his father will respond comes back thinking that his father will probably just make him a servant because that's all he deserves. And what's his father do? Responds in love, right? He's been sitting on the front porch looking for him. And when he comes in, the father can't help but run and hug him 
and kiss him and welcome him. Because that's the type of father he is. So who is God? He's that kind of father, right? He's that kind of father. If you, had a, if you have a, a very poor example of an earthly father, that's not God. He is this father. So let me ask, because this, this may actually be the most important thing for your prayer life. This right here, your answer to this question. How do you perceive God's heart towards you? When you think about how God feels about you, what comes to your mind? I mean, if you feel like he's just constantly disappointed in you and doesn't really like you that much and just wants you to follow all the rules, then of course you're not going to pray. <laughs> Why would you want to commune with him? But when you picture him like this, as this father, full of love, full of grace, desiring to commune with you, right? Desiring to spend time with you, wanting you to know him. That's who he is, right? That is who he is. And that's what prayer's about, right? That's what prayer's about. It's about communing with him, getting to know him. I love this. This is from Paul Miller. I'd suggest his, his book on prayer to you. It's, it's really amazing. Listen to this. He says this. Prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God, Oddly enough, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they're focusing on prayer, not on God. Making prayer the center is like making conversation the center of a family mealtime. In prayer, focusing on the conversation is like trying to drive while looking at the windshield instead of through it. It freezes us, making us unsure of where to go. Conversation is only the vehicle through which we experience one another. Consequently, prayer is not the center. Getting to know a person, God is the sinner. You see that? So, so tips and tricks and books on prayer and sermons on prayer are great, but the goal is to know your Father. That's what we're doing here in prayer, a loving Father who is always present, who wants you to know Him. So our God is a loving Father, and that is good news, but we can't stop there. Notice this. God is our Father, and His name is to be hallowed. His name is to be hallowed. That's hallow, that's probably not a word anyone uses on a daily basis, right? But here's what it means. To make, to, or to hallow means to make holy or to set apart. And so Jesus doesn't want us to fall off either side of the horse when we're talking about our God. He is a loving father. He is a father who wants us to know him, who wants us to have a relationship with him. He is a father full of grace. He is our friend, and he is also holy. He is also transcendent. He is also incomprehensibly great. Totally other. We can't wrap our mind around it. My favorite illustration of this from Scripture is actually the life of the Apostle John. Okay, so I want you, I want you to picture John second. Okay, so one of the twelve. And you know this. Okay, if you ask John who his best friend is, who would he say? Jesus. And if you ask Jesus who his best friend is, who would he say? John. Isn't that amazing? Like, he, like John's best friend puts your best friend to shame. Okay? John's like, my best friend is literally Jesus. Like they're hanging out together. They're eating together. They're on a three-year camping trip together. Like they are like, like they're, they're buds, right? Like if BFF bracelets were a thing, like they would have them. Okay? Like Jesus would have John on his wrist. 
But here's the amazing thing. So John is, is best friends with Jesus. Jesus obviously dies, um, rises again, ascends into heaven. John lives his life. He's one of the only disciples, maybe the only one to really make it into old age. And when he's around 90, he sees his best friend again. Okay? We're told about this in Revelation 1. Here's how he describes it. He gets to see his best friend. You ever been separated from your best friend and then come back together? John has this moment decades later. And here's what it says. Revelation 1, starting in verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From, the mouth he came, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I don't have time to get into breaking down what all this means about this description of Jesus, but it summarized him how John responded. He sees his best friend and he falls at his feet as though dead. Here's what John realizes in this moment. You are my best friend, but you are not my peer. (laughs) You are my best friend, but you are not my peer. I was you know, thinking about this. We, we go to the zoo a lot, we take our boys to the zoo. And there was this one day where we went to the lion, right? And Allie and the boys walked on ahead, and I just kind of, the lion was up and moving around. I just couldn't help but look at it. And we kind of caught eye contact, right? He's pretty close to me. We caught eye contact, and it felt like forever that we were just staring at each other. And this was my thinking in this moment. I am so thankful for fences. <laughs> Why? Because you are not my peer, are you? You are not my peer. I mean, this is, this is not the biggest lion in the world, but you are not my peer. John looks into the eyes of his friend, who is also the lion of Judah. And he sees that he's not his peer. Now, here's the thing. It's interesting. As you go into this, how does Jesus respond? He actually reaches out and comforts John. Okay? The love is still there. It hasn't gone anywhere. It's not, it's not cold. But he is glorious. He is holy. He is set apart. And that's exactly what the Lord's Prayer is telling us. God is your father. right? He is your friend. He is your comforter. He wants to know you, and he is not your peer. Okay? He is not your peer. Your life is about glorifying him. And he deserves it all. He deserves it all. And that takes us to point three. We've paused. We've rejoiced. And now we ask. We ask. Jesus prays this, starting in verse 10, just the rest of the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now notice, most of the prayer is asking. right? Like Actually, most of the Lord's prayer is asking God for things. And, and 
I think that's appropriate, right? Because we have a lot to ask for. We are completely dependent on God. So we have to, we have to ask him for things. I mean, I was reminded of this, as I'm sure a lot of you all were too. Allie and I were, were sitting at home Monday night watching Monday night football. And I don't know if you, you were watching that. I'm sure you heard about it. In the middle of the game, something, you know, I've, I've watched football my whole life. And DeMar Hamlin just goes down on the field. And I saw it in my own reaction. I saw it in everyone's reaction on the field. I saw it in everyone on social media. What could you do but pray? And just ask, like, please, God, like, do something. I can't, I mean, I can't do anything. I, I'm, please, God, we are dependent on you. And so our asking comes from that. And everything in life, we are dependent for even our breath. I mean, look, I've been reminded, you can maybe hear I'm a little, a little sick, you know, have been, have a lot of stuff for like 12 days now, going through just living in East Tennessee, I guess. And a lot of times this week, I didn't even have a voice. So there was a sense in which like, God, I can't even talk this Sunday unless you do something, okay? Like I, I, every word I speak, I'm dependent on you. So we have to ask, right? We have, we have no choice but to ask. But notice how appropriate it is that this asking comes after rejoicing in who God is. We say your will be done, but we can only say that when we fully know who God is and who we are. Amen. My son, my three-year-old son, he only listens to me when he remembers that he is three and I am 30, right? And I actually want what's best for him. There's a reason I'm telling him not to jump across the bar stools, right, like that are four feet high. Because I love him, and I know better than him. So he can say sometimes, thy will be done. Right? Thy will be done. It starts there. We know who God is, and so we can ask him for things. But we ask in a posture of knowing who he is and who we are. Saying, your will be done. And notice specifically what Jesus invites us to ask for. He invites us to ask for our daily bread. Our daily bread. Now, if you're like me, this request is really hard for you to understand. I mostly pray that God will help me avoid bread. Okay, like I've, I mostly feel guilty because I've uh, been to Outback Steakhouse and eaten all the bread, and I need to stop, right? But we're, this is this is really amazing. This 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 prayer, because he, Jesus, is showing us that we can ask, even for the small things, like daily bread. The necessities of life. We don't have to just go to God with the big prayers, though we do that too. We can go to him even for the small stuff. He is the transcendent God of the universe, but he loves us so much that even the small request he loves to hear. This came to, this was, um, something that illustrated this to me was a few years ago, I was at a UT football game with a friend, and we were driving around this parking garage trying to find a parking space. And I won't say who it was because a lot of y'all know him. But my friend um, began to pray to find a parking spot. And I immediately judged him so hardcore. Like, I was like, I mean, I thought he was kidding. Then I realized he wasn't. And I thought he was crazy. And this, this is, I mean, I didn't say this, but here's what's going on in my head. We are going to a football game. And there are people out there who really have needs. And you are praying for a parking spot. Are you kidding me? Like, what are we doing here? But here, this, this is, God used this to convict me because when we finally, you know, 30 minutes later, found a parking spot, <laughs> he was more grateful for that parking spot than I'd been for anything in my life. 
Really close. And I was, I was convicted because he was praising God for a parking spot. And I realized it took a lot for me to praise God. I was not a very grateful person. I mean, the point is, if we ask, if we, if we understand that we are dependent for parking spots and our meals, we will be grateful, right? If we understand and we pray for even those small things, even those essentials that we take for granted, we will realize that all of it's a gift from God. Amen. Family and friends are gifts from God. Bread is a gift from God. It's, it's all a parking spot is a gift from God. And if we do this, the words thank you are always going to be on the tip of our tongue. So don't be afraid to ask him for the small stuff. Okay? But we also ask him for the big stuff. We see here, we ask for forgiveness. Okay? We ask for forgiveness. Now, let's just really quickly, how amazing is that? That Jesus says, come to God and ask him to forgive you of your debts, to forgive you of your sins. Implied is, he listens, okay? He wants us to pray that. He wa- even, okay, when you are at your worst, when you feel the farthest from God, and Satan is telling you God wants nothing to do with you right now, that could not be farther from the truth. Jesus is showing us that here. Run to him, okay? Run to him. Run to him with everything. Run to him with the bad stuff, run to him with the stuff you do that's good for the wrong reasons. Run to him with all of it. He wants it, okay? He wants it. It gives Jesus joy when you run to him. How did Jesus feel when that unclean leper came before him and knelt down at his feet and asked to be made clean? Joy, right? It gives him joy. Just like a doctor feels when a sick patient comes to them. It brings them joy because this is what they're there to do. So ask for the big things too. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for help in the fight of life, right? We see that here. We have enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Jesus invites us to pray for help. God, help us in this fight. We are not alone. We can ask for help. One more thing before I move on. Notice this. Do you notice the pronouns in this prayer? It's not my daily bread. What is it? Our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. How much are you praying for other people? Are your prayers all about you? Because this prayer is corporate, right? We're praying for our own stuff, but we're praying for other stuff. How much are you praying for other people in our church? How much are you praying for the lost? How much are you praying that others will have their daily bread and their necessities? We pray. We, sh- we love others even in our prayers. That's what Jesus is modeling for us here. In our prayers, we are not me, I only. We are us. Right? And that takes us to our final point. We've paused, we've rejoiced, we've asked, and now we yield. We yield. I didn't know this, but, but I had this ready, and this was in one of the songs we sang earlier. In Psalm 46, God invites us to be still and know that I am God. We can be still because God is God and we are not, okay? And thank God for that. He is God. We are not. And so everything that we ask for 
is in a posture of surrender. When we ask, we do it yielding to him, surrendered to him. Paul shows this to us in Philippians 4, verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You see that? Paul tells us to pray about everything. Daily bread, parking spots, salvation for the lost, world peace. What it, like, pray for it all. Take it to him. Like God wants to hear it. But how do we pray for these things? With thanksgiving. See that? We pray for these things, but we do it yielding to God, knowing that he knows better than us. Right? We are yielding to him. And so our prayers are more like this. We're saying, God, whatever you do in response to this request is good. God, here's my request, but I know that your timing is perfect. We're saying, God, if you give me the opposite of what I'm asking for, I thank you because I truly believe that even if I can't see it, you know what's best for me. That's what we do. We pray, we ask, but we do it with thanksgiving. We do it knowing who he is. Our life is marked by a surrender to God and a dependence on him. Let me just say that, and I'm going to do this way too quick. This needs an entire sermon. But how do we respond to unanswered prayers? Right? Unanswered prayers. And when I talk unanswered prayers, I'm not, I'm not talking parking spots, right? A lot of us have been there, right, where you pray for someone to be better, to heal, and it goes unanswered. I mean, how do we respond? And I don't, again, I, I probably can't even do this justice in the time I have, but let me just give this to you. Okay? And again, I'm totally acknowledging that's one of the hardest things in the Christian life. It truly is. When you pray for something and that, that goes unanswered. But let me, let me at least give you this. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. You know that? Jesus has experienced unanswered prayer. That's crazy to think about, right? But do you remember this scene when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he is, I mean, pick, just please picture that. He's in this garden. He knows full well what's about to come. The next day, he is going to the cross. And he is going to feel the weight of our sins on his shoulders. And he's going to go through all the pain that the cross brings. I mean, it's just it's amazing to think about what he knows is on the horizon. And he actually, I mean, you, it's crazy. You know, we, we have all these amazing stories of martyrs who just go to, you know, be murdered for Jesus, and they're totally kind of cool with it almost, it seems like. That's not actually Jesus. Jesus is kneeling in this garden, and he is screaming out to his father. Here's what he says. Here's his words. My father... If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I mean, he's saying in this moment, if there's another way to save him, let's do it. Okay? I, 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 don't want, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't, if we can get out, if I can get out of this, let's do it. But notice two things. First of all, he's yielded to God. Not my will, but your will be done. And notice this also. Look what he anchors himself in. First thing, what he calls God. My father. My father. He's anchoring himself in God's love. If you don't answer this prayer, you're still my father. And you know, 
you have a plan, right? You have a plan. That's, that's our response. It doesn't, doesn't, it's still hard. It's still hard. But we anchor ourselves in the fact that God is our Father. Sometimes we must trust what we don't fully understand. We trust that he's working for our good. And look, we, we see this in the cross, right? Thank God that was an unanswered prayer. Why can we go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness? Because this was an unanswered prayer. Because he lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve. He rose again, and now we have access to the Father through him. This is, so, unanswered prayer. Look at Jesus. He's, he is a friend with his arm around you. There, not leaving, saying, I get it. I've been there. I've been there. Let me close with this. This story, I think it's true, okay? I think it's true from everything I can see. Even if it's not, it's been a huge inspiration to me. But I I think from what I can tell, it's true. There's a man that maybe you've heard of um, named D.L. Moody, a famous uh, evangelist. Some of y'all maybe even went to the school that he created. So he, you know, D.L. Moody was a very gifted guy. He was a very, um, had a lot of fruit in his ministry, But if you asked him, what is the key to your life and ministry, I fully believe he would give you a one-word answer. Prayer. Prayer. And he proved it. This is amazing. It's been so inspirational to me. He proved it by carrying around in his pocket a sheet of paper with 100 names on it. And those 100 names were the names of people that he knew and loved that didn't know Jesus that he wanted to see come to know God as Father and Jesus as Savior. And so he would pray every single day faithfully over this list. Pray for them by name. This evangelist who was going out seeing thousands come to know Jesus would pray every single day for these specific people. You want to hear how it went? On the day of D.L. Moody's death, so he would, take that form, he would take that piece of paper and every time someone would come to follow Jesus, he'd check off their name. On the day of his death, 96 of those names had become followers of Jesus. Pretty, like, 96, like that's an A, right? Like 96%. <laughs> but here's what's amazing. The story goes that on the day of his funeral, the final four were so moved that they then put their faith in Jesus Christ that day and became followers of Jesus. Okay. I mean, I think that illustrates exactly what we're talking about, right? Moody, even though he was talented, even though he was gifted, he could move a room, he was a leader, he was efficient. I mean, he, did a, he accomplished a lot of stuff, but he knew that he was completely dependent on God. So much so that the only, he knew that the only way these people he loved would ever come to know Jesus Christ was if he prayed for them so that God would act and do what only he could do. That is a life yielded to the Father. That is a life yielded to the Father. Here's what I want to do. We have have a few minutes left. I feel like the only proper response to this is is just to pray, right? Like, why tell you to go do it? We can just do it now, okay? Here's what I want to do. I'd like to just take about five minutes here. If you're uncomfortable with this, just Put your head down and start praying and everyone will leave you alone, okay? But if, if not, I'd love for you to get with three, four, five other people. If 
find a group around you. And I just want us to take about five minutes here just, just to pray, okay? Like before we go, let's just, let's just pray. Let's pray for our church. Let's pray for the new year. You can take this or leave it. If you want to do something else, do it. But here's, here's some suggestions I would make that I, that I give you to pray through. We can get that. Start by just rejoicing in God, who God is, right, as we saw today. Rejoice in the fact that he is our Father in heaven. Thank him for that. And then let's, let's, let's pray for his name to be hallowed, his kingdom to come, and then let's pray for our city, his will to be done in Knoxville as it is in heaven. And if he chooses, let's pray that he would use us as instruments to do it. If not, let's pray that he does it through the church down the street, right? Let's just pray that it gets done, okay? That he will, he will make his name great. And so let's take about four or five minutes. I'll come up and just close us in prayer.